airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B. is over in Studio CC. We've got some information that we want to get to you in this segment. And then we're going to make a shift Mm -hmm. and um, talk to Felicia Masonheimer again. We talked to um, Felicia, I guess maybe a couple months ago. And uh, we were looking ahead to a new book that she had coming out, um, Stop Calling Me Beautiful. And uh, the book is out, and so we're going to talk to her about that. And this might make a great read, you know, as we are quarantining all across the country and, um, you know, different things that we're doing. Social distancing, which, by the way, Will the Great does not apply to the kids. It does not apply. You can't tell them give you six feet. Give me six feet. That's all I need. Six feet. I just don't. I don't. You are. It's shameful. (laughs) It is shameful what you're doing. They have the most germs. Um, JD, this is true. <laughs> um, I actually had a pediatrician say to me one time, because I was joking, I said, I don't even know how we were on this topic, but I said something that alluded to me sharing food with the kids. And and he said to me, without even without even missing a beat, he said, Don't eat after your kids. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I mean, Wise your man. pediatrician. Well, I guess. Um, anyway, but you know, I didn't learn. I still do. Um, yeah, I so I mean, I it's I just do it. It's I do it by faith. You know what I mean? I just I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. just like, <laughs> Lord help me. You know, I it's hard. Every mom knows, yeah. I, and maybe there's some dads that this is difficult for. But you dads seem to be able to say no without any guilt. You know what I? You, yeah. you guys are like, no, it's you not. Know, a, you know, that's not a bad word. It's not always, but I think I don't know, moms. I don't know. We just get programmed with a little bit of extra guilt sometimes. I think, you know, and the kid, the kid, you tell them no. And then they turn into like puss in boots. The mm. eyes start to kind of well up a little bit. And you're like, oh, no, it don't move me. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Especially if it's like a, yeah. a man child that's doing puss in boots. Like, man, yeah, well, on, yeah. Man. Well, I come mean, on, there's man. a certain age where that you have to knock that out. <laughs> like there's a certain age. I mean, I would say like, you got on, a man. good three and a half, four years of being able to kind of let your lip quiver just a little bit and then you know the parents feel sorry for you but once you're hitting four and five like oh no it's not it's not happening you know so anyway but yeah so we're we're gonna um talk to felicia masonheimer in the second and third segments and we've actually got three copies of this wonderful book this is such a timely book because we talk so much on this show about the attack on truth and how much of and not all of But a fair amount of what we are getting today, especially in Christian women's circles, is just fluff and cotton candy. And I am just not about that. You know, I have I have never understood why we would devalue Christian women to the point where everything or and I want to be careful, not everything, but majority of what we're looking at when we talk to Christian women has to do with superficiality and external things and all of this. And, you Mm -hmm. know, as if it's 
all we care about is ourselves and, you know, and man, I don't know. I just, that has always rubbed me the wrong way. So I have found. the, The old, I remember they used to say this when I was growing up, sugar and spice and everything nice. Like that's what girls are made of. So that's um, the kind of stuff. Huh? No. Okay. I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? What is that? I do remember that. But what does that have to do so with like, understanding you know, the character and the nature of God? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, but if I'm, I'm saying, baking maybe... a pie, sure. <laughs> I need sugar and spice. <laughs> but if I'm going to sit down in front of the holy word of God yeah, yeah. and undertake I to agree. read it and learn. And I'm not, t- I'm not talking to you. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> At this point, Will, I'm sorry, are you still a part of this conversation? I already stepped up on the soapbox. Were you saying something? Oh, no, no. Um, I'm just but no, anyway, here. I'm just saying, but you're, but you're right, though. Those are the kinds of things that I think we often think of when it comes down to women. And we don't need to reduce God to, you know, what we feel about him. And, you know, how does this make us feel? And what do we think all the time? Like, yes, of course, there, there are ways for us to expound and ways for us to reflect. And the word of God is living. Mm-hmm. And it's active. So it is searching us, which means it applies to our real time situations. Amen. Right. Um, so, of course, we are searching the word daily for our living, but we are not limiting our search to just what we can personally take out of it. Mm. Like God. Yes. You know, he is near to us, but he is also transcendent. Like he has revealed himself as the self-existent one. Yeah. So God has need of nothing. We describe this as a saity, that he exists in and of himself. He has need of no one and no thing. And when we understand this, whether you're male or female, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> it does not have any personal bearing on how you approach him because you realize that, yes, he can deal with your situation. He does deal with your situation, but he exists outside of your situation. Right. And he doesn't need you to be God. Um, this popular teaching that has infected the church and, and many women are victims of it. And, and unfortunately, increasingly men are victims of soft teachings on who God is. It has not made us better. It has not made mm. us better. It has actually worn us down. And so anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'll save some of that discussion for uh, for Felicia when we get her on. One of the things I wanted to do, I was reading this story just moments before coming on the show, and this is some information, or starting the show, this is some information that I think is important. Um, just about 50-some-odd um, minutes ago, um, this is information from Fox News, looking at what President Trump is doing, the Trump administration, um, to, to attempt to alleviate the mm-hmm. pain that will be experienced by Americans and you know, this is something that I think that our listeners would be um, would be interested in. Yeah. So this is from Fox News. The White House is moving forward with a proposed one trillion dollar coronavirus package that would infuse Americans bank accounts with two rounds of direct cash payments. Wow. And I know that this is something that many of our listeners would say that's going to be a blessing to our family. Mm-hmm. Um, the effects of this we have not really felt. Um, But they they will be real. And so um, anyway, I want to make sure that this information was out there. The Trump administration is seeking two hundred fifty billion dollars in payments to Americans starting April 6th, followed by another two hundred fifty billion dollar cash payment uh, round beginning May 18th. Um, And that's according to a working draft of the plan that was obtained by Fox uh, Business Network. And again, there's something at the end of this story that I'm going to just jump to it right now, because one of the things that we hear coming from this administration is that there are many meetings and many discussions and a lot of stuff is in flux. 
Mm. And the president even saying this himself, that, you know, things are changing quickly. And so this is the most recent information that is out there. But I do think that this information is very encouraging. So having said that, back to the story now, uh, the two payments to taxpayers would be identical and the amounts would vary by family income and size, according Mm. to the Treasury Department. Um, And this is a document on what is called stage three coronavirus proposal. We don't know how many stages there will be, but uh, at this point we're at stage three and this is what is being proposed. And I think that's important to Americans. The administration's working plan amounts to about $1 trillion on paper and it would provide $50 billion for lending to the airline industry, Mm. which according to this article has drastically reduced flights due to travel bans and social distancing, (laughs) which everyone can understand that. Here is something that I think is good. Um, The proposal would require limits on increases in executive pay until the loans are repaid. Mm. So in other words, when the airline gets back on its feet, you're not going to be hiking up executive pay, you know, without paying back what the American people have loaned to you to be able to get out of this quagmire that we're all in. Yeah. All right. Moving on. The proposal calls for one hundred fifty billion dollars to other severely distressed sectors of the U.S. economy through secured lending or loan guarantees. Trump signaled Wednesday that airlines, cruise ships and hotel industries are all prime candidates for support. The Trump administration also wants $300 billion to help small businesses which have suffered under social isolation. And this is important, small businesses. I mean, I think this is one of those things, Will the Great, and I think you would agree with me, this is one of those things that kind of becomes a benefit for us that we have a president who understands business, right? Who yeah, understands yeah. what it is to own a business. Go ahead. No, no, yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh it seemed like, you know, he has not not only himself, but he has gathered a lot of other business people. That's right. You know, big companies to to uh help out in in certain ways, even to set up, you know, those those little places where like in, in Walmarts or at yes. Walgreens parking lots where people mm-hmm. can drive through and get tested and stuff like that. All of that I think has been uh, instrumental in 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 uh, what he's been doing, and so it's it's good to have someone who understands business, who has friendship with business people, and yeah, able who's to, an outsider, yeah, to pull who, this who stuff doesn't off. think that it's all save us. You know, I think that you see this in the way that this administration is responding, and I think you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Looking to some of these other businesses to help, what can they do? How can they respond? Just And that's one of the things that our family has been praying for our government right now is that, that the Lord would give them wisdom, mm-hmm. that the Lord would give them wisdom in how to deal with this situation, yeah. and we will continue to pray that. Um, but I think that some of the information that we see coming out um, speaks of wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. and, and understanding how small businesses um how small businesses would be affected yeah. by the loss of income. Yeah. Let me just also say this, and I know we may have some some drops in and out, Will, so anything that I, there's a gap, just let me know, mm-hmm. and, and I'll fill it in so that people don't miss anything. Um, the administration would create something called a small business interruption loan program targeted at businesses with fewer than 500 employees that would cover six weeks of payroll. Six weeks of payroll. Mm. The amount for each employee's wages would be capped at about fifteen forty a week, one thousand five hundred forty dollars a week, or about eighty thousand dollars a year. So, wow. um, that is something that the Trump administration is working on right now, and I think that that is to be applauded. I know I was reading some information from our Dan Celia. We love him and appreciate you know his insight on financial issues. Mm-hmm. No pun intended, but that is what <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's what it is. You know, and he was saying that of course the um, the pumping of money into 
um, like American homes and things that that's going to benefit. But he's also looking at businesses and there need to be some things done with businesses. And it seems that this stage three package, at least, is looking at what help can be provided for businesses. So small business owners, those who are maybe not going to be able to make payroll because they don't have the type of income coming in that they normally have. Um, it seems that the Trump administration is taking that all into consideration. And I got to say, and this, you know, this is not the time because I've seen some, um, I've seen some sort of letting all of our dividing lines just kind of, you know, be erased during this time. And that's good. Of course, there was mm-hmm. still going to be partisan discussion. I think there's some people who just can't let it go. Right. But um, I think that there are other people who are waking up and saying, you know what, this administration is doing a great job, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you don't have your political talking points, when you don't have your political platform that you look to mm-hmm. for your sense of direction, right. um, you know, you're able to see that some common sense action really does work. Some common sense action really does make sense. And I think that that's what is coming from this administration. And I was shocked. Uh, There was an email that was sent out to us, um, you know, people like Dana Bash and um, these other liberal talk show or Mm -hmm. news reporters and everything speaking well of the president. And admittedly, I responded, I'm going to have to hear that with my own ear. So (laughs) one of our, (laughs) one of our news guys sent me back a couple of clips, you know, and said, Hey, check this out. You know, I'm like, man, I just need to hear it. I don't mean to be Thomas, but I need to hear it because these people seem to have made their living on bashing this administration and bashing this president. And for them to say what the president is doing well, actually means that it's exceedingly well, that he's doing exceedingly um, well. Governor Cuomo also Thanks yes, I President saw that. Trump and, you know, like, but I think in these times it's like, OK, we can put down, you know, all the other stuff and, and work together. So that's that's a good thing. It is a very good thing. Let me say this as we come to the break here. You drew my attention to this last night and we discussed it just a little bit. But one of the things I want to encourage Americans as we continue to pray and seek the Lord, that there are many cases of recovery from this virus, not only in the United States, but also all around the world. And yeah. I want to say that I cannot stress that enough. That even though that news does not get a lot of coverage, we just kind of mostly focus on the spread of it. Mm-hmm. Please know that there are people who are and have recovered and are getting back to as normal of a life as they can. And so that is encouraging. We need to continue praying. We need to continue seeking the Lord. We mm-hmm. need to continue reading his word and sharing the word among ourselves, being an encouragement to one another. Uh, we can do it if we will do it. Let's grab the break and come back and talk with Felicia Masonheimer, Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's playing James, Faith Over Fear. Sherry B is over in Studio CC. And uh, what I'm going to do right now in this first segment is I'm going to give away one copy of the book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful. And uh, this is to caller number seven, who maybe you heard the interview pre- previously that we did with Felicia Masonheimer, where we were alluding to the book coming out and kind of um, looking ahead to that. And you already thought then, hey, I'd like to have a copy of it. 
Well, this is your chance. Caller number seven at 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Caller number seven, Sherry B. will take your information and we will send you out a copy. Don't worry. If you don't make it through in this segment, in the next segment, we will give away two more copies because um, Felicia has generously sent us three copies uh, to be able to give away. And we're very grateful for that. I know that it will will be a blessing to our listeners. All right. So welcome back to the show. Mm -hmm. Felicia, Felicia Masonheimer joins us uh, today to discuss the book. Stop calling me beautiful. She teaches Christian women how to apply faith uh, to the realities of life. She's a blogger, podcast host and speaker. And um, her writing focuses on overcoming sin and difficulty by the power of a maturing personal relationship with God, which is exactly what everyone needs, including women. (laughs) <laughs> like we don't need and so we we kind of got into this the last time we talked Felicia because we were talking about how for some reason when it comes to women's gatherings we have just we have experienced this and it's perplexing to us but the messages seem to get dumbed down um there oh. seems to be this presentation this presentation of cotton candy Sugar and, and spice fluff and everything nice for baking cakes <laughs> But we can know the creator of heaven and earth without sugar and spice. So anyway, Felicia, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. Before we get into talking about the book, though, let me just ask you this, because everybody um, in this country, we are all paying attention to um, the coronavirus talk and, and people are responding in different ways. I'm just curious, though, Felicia, how is the Lord encouraging you and your family during this time? What scripture, what um, verses from the Bible do you find yourself meditating on or even encouraging women in your circle with as we are all walking through this? Well, it's such an interesting question because I've been doing a two-year chronological reading plan. So reading through the Bible in two years instead of one in the order that it happened. And two days ago, right when we had just learned of the quarantine and, you know, everything really changed for us as the United States, we, I I was reading in Psalm 75 and it says, when the world is shaking, I, the Lord, am the one who holds its pillars steady. And I thought, that is such a profound verse and so timely, you know, that he just happened to be my reading that day. And it's just such an encouragement to me in this season. Amen. No, that's so good. And I think that's one of the things that maybe sometimes we struggle with, um, fixing our eyes on the Lord and who he is, um, that he is immutable, that he doesn't change, that he is fixed. And so I think that's so important and so encouraging. And what is the scripture reference again? It is Psalm 75.3. All right, Mm. 75.3. I just want to write that down, go back and look at it again myself. I appreciate that. All right, Felicia, so the book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, teaches readers how to study scripture, how to live boldly as women of the word, how to keep perspective in painful circumstances, and how to overcome bitterness by learning to rejoice. Why did you feel that that is something that may be currently missing from a lot of the popular books that are out there and even some of the teaching series that women um, find themselves kind of gravitating toward? Well, I think my own experience, first of all, just with a lot of these books and Bible study materials, because I've spent so many years using them and being in studies that use these products, 
And as I said when we last chatted, I'm not anti-devotional or anti-Bible study. I still use and love many of them. But some are better than others, and some are more biblical than others. Mm-hmm. Those would be the better ones. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when we, when what we're seeing for a lot of women is this gap between either understanding of what the Bible actually says and what maybe sells books or what they want to hear, what they want to read about. And so we'll have studies that focus on beauty and identity and things that women are struggling with but are not, you know, getting to the root cause there. And the same with, like, dealing with things like bitterness or insecurity. These are symptoms of a deeper problem. And so when we only focus on a symptom instead of getting to that root cause, you know, it may sell books because we resonate with that symptom, but we're still not actually, you know, solving the problem for these women. Yeah, no, that's it's such a great observation. And I think one of one of the concerns that I have is that this has gone largely overlooked. And I don't mean that, you know, entirely overlooked, but just largely overlooked in that, you know, you think about the way that some of the Bible studies and some of the books are even marketed to women and the presentation is sort of the immediate eye appeal of the person who has maybe authored the study or who has written the book. And it's just, to me, there seems to be such a gap there that I think if we take a step back, we would say, God is the focus. And and I got to tell you, it's very basic, but I really appreciate the fact that, you know, your picture is not the focus of your book. Like, I, I think that seems very basic, but was it at the same time intentional? It was intentional. Um, I do think that the larger <laughs> your platform, the more likely your face is going to be on the book. That's what I've seen, at least. <laughs> I have no mm-hmm. much of research to back that up. But um, no, I I. I don't want my face on my book ever because I do think that it can be so distracting from the message of the book. We get so attached to these teachers that because they help us even, you know, Mm -hmm. good teachers. Like we, I love reading um, Tim Keller or, you know, John Piper, but you know, they're not going to have a book with their face on it because they want you to be seeking the Lord, not seeking them. And I think that's what any really solid Bible teacher is going to be after is we want you seeking the Lord through his word. We don't want you to get so attached to our teaching that you actually become, you know, this secondhand learner who isn't coming to the word on your own. Mm, That's so good. Such a great observation. I agree with you. Um, Okay. So you had this moment in your relationship with the Lord where you realize that you needed to go deeper in your relationship. I want us to talk about that because sometimes I think that a conversation like this, Felicia, and you, I think would agree with me on this. Maybe not, but you'll tell me. I think that some people can hear a conversation like this and they say, who are those self-righteous women? Like, who are they? You know, they don't know. And what are they talking about? They don't know what we need. But talk about you going through this moment where you realized or the Lord opened your eyes um, and gave you a desire for a deeper relationship with him, with himself. It really came down to what I was seeing in my life, the fruit that I was seeing in my life. I was pretty young. I grew up in a Christian home and I was in college and starting to see, you know, there's different ways that people are walking out their faith. And I was looking at my own faith and thinking, well, how come if Jesus said he's enough, that he overcomes, how come if he calls me to these fruits of the Spirit, how come these aren't happening? 
why does this feel so heavy, this faith that I say I have? And what I had to really come to a reckoning with was, I say I believe Jesus. I say I follow him. But the fruit is saying differently. And what I'm consuming isn't pushing me to bear the fruit that he wants to see. So what needs to change? Well, I need to actually walk with him and let him change me. John Mm. 15 talks about this. And so that's really when I started to see, like, it's not as complicated as I've been making it. It's simply abide in me and you will bear much fruit. John 15 says what Jesus said. And that simplified everything for me, but it also redirected me back to, okay, my one job is to seek God through his word and through communing with him in prayer and being in community with other believers, and he will change me. But I had to stop going to these, you know, self-help Christianity sources in order to see the fruit of the Christian life start to show up. See, I think that's very practical. Um, the last thing that you just said there, and, and I kind of want to expand that. I, w- I want to look at the practical steps that you took um, as the Lord was prompting you. So, for one, you stop going to a lot of the, you know, the self-help type books that really only treat symptoms, right? I mean, you just, you walk away thinking, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to implement that. And in, you know, 90 days, 30 days, whatever, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a better attitude or whatever, but what other practical steps can you share with our audience today that you kind of, you know, found yourself walking through as you grew deeper in the Lord and just really focusing on who he is? Well, one of the first things I did, um, and this is a little embarrassing to say, but I grew up in a Christian home, like I said, had read my Bible, but I read the easy part because the other parts seem too hard to understand. So there were huge parts of the Bible that I'd never even read because they just seemed too difficult or boring. Then I went through college. I got a religion degree, was in the Bible and pastoral department, and still hadn't read through the whole Bible. So I was 25, and my husband and I were married. We had our first child when I first read through the Bible in a year, the whole Bible. And I remember that the way I made it happen was I got a little basket and I just stuck my Bible and a journal and pens and maybe a couple of supplemental books, like commentaries in there, put it on the kitchen table. So when I would get my baby in the morning to feed her, I could study the Bible while I sat there. That was my Mm. season. That was what worked. And whatever someone sees in, there's something that will work for you. Because even before I'd read through the whole Bible, which I, I would say is very helpful, but can be a little overwhelming for some people. So so for beginners, I would say, just pick the book of John or something. Mm-hmm. But no matter what season you're in, you can do that on your lunch break or in your car. I did that when I was working full time. Because a lot of times in my lunch break or, you know, in the office break room or whatever, it just is a matter of making that choice of saying, I know that prioritizing God is the most important thing. So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make this happen, even if it doesn't happen at 6 a.m. with my coffee and candle, et cetera. So picking a time, (laughs) picking what you'll study, um, and taking notes are all really helpful things. Okay, you just mentioned two things that I want to touch on. I don't know which one to choose first. I'll go back further, though. Okay, so (laughs) when you, because that that coffee and the candle and the 6 a.m. thing, you know, the, the photo ready quiet time, 
All right. Like, right. the, you know what I mean? The one that you're going to yep. post the picture. You have a section in the book where you talk about this. OK, I'm just going to start there because I just naturally want to go there. So let's let's for a second talk to people about this concept of the Instagram Bible and the problem with maybe maybe the problem with the Christian cultural concept of quiet time and um, why maybe we need to rethink this. And I think you're kind of touching on that right now. Yeah. So I think I first heard Instagram Bible from um, Jen Wilkin, and she talks a little bit about this. And Instagram quiet time is an expansion on that. It's this idea that we have to have everything perfect to seek God. Almost like we, we have to set up a mini shrine every morning in order to have an experience with God, which in the end, we're actually doing a work. We're working to be in relationship with Him when all He wants is for us to come. We're really doing all that for us, not for Him. So what we have to be willing to do is, if I wasn't able to get up at 6 a.m., or say I did, but I don't have my coffee, I don't have, you know, music and a candle, will I still (laughs) seek him? (laughs) Will I still seek him? Does he matter that much to me? And what will I do to make that happen throughout the day? Because realistically, looking at church history, how many people who died for the faith, who died to put the Bible in a language, to get it printed, how many of those people had that kind of privilege? Or how many today? How many in America... If you think about the single mom who's rushing off to work, does Mm -hmm. she have that privilege in the morning? Does the woman in South Africa have that privilege? Probably not. So we need to let go of that Americanized quiet time and say, Mm -hmm. look, it matters that I seek him and I'll do it no matter what. Man, this is so good. good. You know, just to your point, if... That's that's great for men, right? That's that's great for all of us yes, who yes. follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but one of the things I was thinking was after Will and I uh, got married and started having kids, I had I had this feeling of just missing the Lord because my routine was so interrupted. You know, living as a single woman, you know, when your ministry is to the Lord and and you know you don't have a ministry at home per se. There is a different life that that you're living. But then we got married, we started having kids, and it's you know, it's like, oh my goodness, where is that time that was just like always there? It was ever present time. Now it's not there. And that was a season in my life where the Lord really walked me through how to spend time with him, with my kids. You know what I mean? I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we romanticize as you're suggesting with the candle and the, you know, the Instagram ready photo of, of yourself reading the Bible and the highlights and the underlines. And there are times where we're going to carve out to do that. But the reality of it, I I say this to our listeners, you know, even as we are training our kids to grow in godliness, our kids who have come to faith in the Lord, we're discipling them. That is a part of my time with the Lord. That is my service to the Lord. That is also how I am growing and developing and learning as I'm teaching and training my kids. And so I think about, man, you know, if we really thirst for the Lord, we will be filled. If we really hunger Mm -hmm. for the Lord, we're going to be filled. We're going to be satisfied. And so this culture, as you say, this American version of like quiet time and Bible study, we've got to really rethink that. I want to come back and I want to talk about avoiding the difficult parts of the Bible that you alluded to a little bit earlier. We'll do that in just a few minutes. The book is Stop Calling Me Beautiful. Stop Calling Me Beautiful. (laughs) Felicia Masonheimer is our guest. Erin the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. 
Modern evangelical Christianity, particularly among women, is propelled by the principle of quiet time. Even the term quiet time has become a Christian cultural byword, the embodiment of devotion to God. Quote, all I need is a little coffee and a whole lot of Jesus, end quote, might be written on shirts, excuse me, might be written on shirts, but it's also written into our minds. And if we don't meet with God in the way we think we're supposed to, we struggle with a burden of guilt. If there's one thing about female Christian culture that breaks my heart, it's how great we are at taking a pretty Instagram photo of our quiet time spot Mm. or tricking out our Bibles with trendy tabs and paint (laughs) and how poor we are at truly studying God's word. As I write this hashtag Bible journaling has over 550,000 posts on Instagram. Guys, welcome back to the show. The book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, authored by our guest today, Felicia Masonheimer, will be a blessing to you. Mm -hmm. It will be a challenge to you, but that's good because that is a blessing too, right? Like (laughs) to be challenged is a blessing. And what I want to do now is I want to give away two more copies. So in this segment, callers uh, 7 and 10 at 888-589-8840, you get a copy of Stop Calling Me Beautiful. Stop calling me beautiful. 888-589-8840. Caller 7 and 10. Sherry B. will get your information and we'll get these books out to you. Felicia Masonheimer joins us and we're discussing the book. I can't say it enough. Stop calling me beautiful. Um, <laughs> Felicia, you mentioned um, before we went to the break um, this this fear of exploring what we tend to look at as like the difficult portions of the scripture. Even you said, you know, of yourself, I, I read the easy parts, you know, but digging deeper or digging deeply into the word of God was something that you avoided. Um, how did you overcome that? And what encouragement do you have to women listening who may have that same fear? Maybe they think they're not as deep as they need to be to really understand um, maybe deep theological truths or to, to delve into the word of God. Well, I think, you know, a lot of us are intimidated by these books. And for, you know, right reason, it's ancient literature. It's written in a foreign language. So obviously it's going to be hard to understand some of it. And what I had to realize is it's called Bible study for a reason. So study implies work, right? (laughs) So I'm going to have to work at this in order to understand it. I'm going to have to read books and resources by Greek and Hebrew scholars who can help me understand what this means. Instead of coming to it and saying, oh, I'm bored, or making up a meaning that I think is there, what did the original language mean? And there's so many great books and resources and commentaries out there now to help us with this kind of thing, study Bibles, things like that. But I think the biggest holdup for people is, you know, we, we aren't sure where to start, so we're uncertain, but... We're also, we wonder, is it really that important, like struggling with a text? Is it really that important to read this? And it is, especially today. We have to be able to give an answer for what we believe and what we believe is found even in these hard parts of the Bible. Um, And it lays the groundwork for everything that Jesus taught. So getting the resources and support you need to go deeper will make a huge difference in how confident you feel in your faith, but also just in how much, how personal your faith is to you. 
Where did you start? Um, I know that you mentioned that you also um, still enjoy devotionals and things like that. Um, Where would you suggest as sort of like the the better place to start for a woman who's listening who says, okay, I want to work through something and this all seems very overwhelming, but they want to do what we're discussing today. Where do you suggest uh, she start? Well, as we said earlier, I would always suggest that you start with a book of the Bible that's fairly simple, like the book of John, um, something that's not out of your comfort zone so that you can establish some patterns for how to study the Bible before you head into, say, Leviticus or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also recommend the book Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin that teaches you how to break down passages. Very practical, very easy to read and helpful. It would also make a great group thing to do, like a workshop type thing that a church could do together in lieu of maybe a devotional or something. You could do, you know, a workshop on on Bible study and breaking a passage down. And then I really recommend, if you can, to find somebody who's also trying to go deeper in their faith and kind of talk with them while you're pursuing this, because I think that accountability really helps you stay consistent. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that I have um, a fairly healthy sense of humor. And Felicia, I I feel like you do, too. I mean, I I think we can all laugh and joke and understand um, lightheartedness when we approach the scriptures. I would hate for someone to think that, um, you know, we read our Bibles with a frown or that we scowl as we're studying and taking notes, you know. So what place do you find um, for the lightheartedness that, you know, we can approach the word of God with, and even in some of the messages that we hear um, at women's conferences and things like that, there's a place for humor and there's a place for lightheartedness. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's definitely a place for just laughter. I mean, God laughs. We know this from the Bible. So there is for sure, we don't have to be all down in the dumps about studying the Bible. It's an exciting thing. And the exciting thing is we get to know God through it. And, and the salvation that we read about in these passages, it is it's rejoicing, it's joy, it's good news, right? So it's not that we're, by becoming students of the Bible we become very serious or legalistic or self-righteous or, you know, unattainable. It's so that we can better love God and love other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of turn to maybe a, a bit of a serious topic and find out if you have observed what I have observed. And if you have, then what your response would be to this. So one of the things that has concerned me recently here is that I see a lot of people embracing um, weakness and almost to the point where it appears that they are kind of celebrating or glorying in weakness. So anxiety and depression and loneliness, all of these things. Now it seems that people are, and and I want to describe this accurately, but it just appears that people are sort of, you know, we're going to shout that this is our ailment. We're going to, and, and there's almost an endearment to it. You know, you see a lot of the music that's coming out where, Um, Christian songwriters are writing and sort of leaning into anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that, you know, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And, and there is encouragement there. And and I understand that, but I'm wondering if we've kind of maybe crossed a threshold where we glamorize our deficiencies and that might be destructive to the body of Christ. Yes. We have to be so careful what we're adopting as our identity. 
clearly, being in a fallen world, we can always be tempted. But our temptations are not who we are. Christ makes it clear that when we are in him, we are sons, we are daughters, we are adopted, we are heirs with Christ. So when we turn around and we say, oh, I follow Jesus, but, you know, man, I'm a porn addict. Well, you may have a struggle with porn, but you as a person do not identify as a porn addict. You do not identify as anxiety or depression. And I do see what you're saying. I see it very often where it's like, you know, my depression, my anxiety, it's not yours. It's something that you may be struggling with and walking through and have to be on guard against all your life, but it's not yours. Mm. It's not you. And if we don't get this, if we don't have a biblical understanding of our identity, mm-hmm. it's going to change how we live. Wow. And I always have to remind people, like for men and women, my husband and I both have histories with sexual sin. If mm. we had lived in that, and rehearse that, and that became who we are, we wouldn't be living in redeemed sexuality today. Mm. That old self had to die. Mm. And so do we still have to be on guard? Yes. Have we failed in different respects since we were married? Yes. But that doesn't make us an identity of sin, you know? So really getting into what the Word says about who God is, what He's done through Christ, helps us get our identities in the right place. Oh, man, I am so glad that you said that. And and I appreciate the illustration because, you know, I think for for myself as a Christian activist who I'm watching what's happening in the culture and I'm fully engaged, you know, there are certain terms that we hear um, kind of, you know, crop up and we say, well, there's a problem with that, that you're you're not a gay Christian. Like that is not your identity, that you have been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ and we agree that such were some of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are many Christians who would almost immediately um, jump on board with that and say, yeah, we see in the scripture that you once lived this way and now you live this way. But when it comes to these emotional disorders that you mentioned, like anxiety and even some chemical disorders like depression may fall into that category. I think we don't see it the same. And so I'm I'm glad that you're making that connection um, is it difficult for people to receive that, Felicia, when you when you make that connection? I think it's difficult, yeah, for anyone because we we are comfortable with with our weaknesses, which seems odd, but it gives us, you know, that it's kind of like a relief, like, oh, I don't really have to do anything. It's not my fault. And yeah, I do think, especially with chemical imbalances. No, it's not entirely your fault, but you have a choice in it. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like oftentimes anxiety and depression are compared to cancer. Like cancer gets treated with medicine, so we can do it with anxiety and depression too, right? Well, certainly you can, but there's a specific spiritual approach to Mm -hmm. that too. Mm -hmm. And that can't be forgotten. That can't be neglected. And you can't, you know, I don't know anyone who I've ever followed who struggled with cancer who says cancer is who I am now. They try to make a distinction between themselves and their cancer. And we should be thinking of sin as a cancer or any struggle in this fallen world as a cancer that we're willing to say, no, I fight this. I Mm -hmm. fight this through the power of Christ. I'm not going to let this become who I am. Amen. 
That's Amen. so good. You mentioned your husband in uh, the course of this discussion. And uh, of course, you know, I, I co-host this show with my husband. And as a result of what we're talking about, I'm going to stop calling him beautiful. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for this, this gentle correction. I appreciate it. Um, but what do you see men taking away from this book, Felicia? One of the most encouraging things I've seen um, come out of the book and out of my ministry is women and, and actually husbands who've messaged me, but women messaging on behalf of their husbands, saying that their husbands were very into theology or studying the Bible, and they never felt like they could keep up with their husbands. Like, they felt like they didn't know as much, and so they kind of just tuned out or just let it be his thing. And now they can have these discussions with their husbands, and they can go deeper in the Word together. And for some of them, if their husband wasn't into it, that their knowledge and their excitement has inspired their husband to speak the Lord with them. So that's been the most exciting thing, I think, for me to see um, husbands even emailing or messaging me saying, hey, before the book came out, um, I want to get this book for my wife for her birthday. Can you <laughs> work that out somehow? It's just so cute, but just also so profound because it's unifying them around the gospel, and that's really exciting. Mm. You know, one of the things that you mentioned um, in the last segment, and of course, my ears just immediately kind of like perked up. I love church history. And one of the things that you don't see when you look at church history and certainly start it, start it reading the scriptures. OK, when we talk about church history and then move on from there is you don't see this sort of um, and I hate to say it because it sounds cliche, but you don't see this gender inferiority in the body of Christ. You see that there are women who understand that knowing the Lord is vital, that it's important, and that even for the proliferation of the gospel, that women are trained in the truth and are training other women in the truth. So my question, I know we're running out of time here, is where do you think we experience this gap, Felicia? How did we move away from that as women and begin to think that there are just things that we shouldn't learn or that we can't learn? Well, honestly, I could talk for an hour about this. It's it's a very socio-political melding with the church. It's when the church failed to discern that certain cultural ideals were not biblical and instead adopted them. And it mm. goes back mm. as far as the Victorian era and this idea that women were mentally weak and emotionally weak and reading that view into scripture. And then I think we saw that play out more in um, in the 20th century, but especially where we're at now really sped up during the sexual revolution because mm-hmm. You had, you had, you know, the 40s and the 50s. You got the war that's upsetting everything. Then you got the sexual revolution, which is rejecting the 50s housewife. And eventually you end up with these, this ideal of women that's not scriptural and is just a twisted history that the church adopted. And so we have to return to what scripture actually says instead of going off of a political or social precedent. Oh, my goodness. You know, I could listen to you talk about that for an hour. I mean, you're spot on in your observation and even trekking this. I mean, this is this is just true. Okay, so, Felicia, we only got 30 seconds left. What is your website? How can our listeners connect with you? They can find my blog with all my articles at FeliciaMasonheimer.com or on social media at FeliciaMasonheimer. All right, we got to leave it there for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.